Welcome to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Will Wood's Faith and Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario, and I'm happy that you're joining us today. As a culture, we rightly believe that empowerment and education go hand in hand. Therefore, empowering women should also mean better education on the natural rhythms of her cycle. The need for both men and women to grow in fertility awareness is the topic of today's episode, and my guest is fertility care practitioner and campus minister, Ms. Sarah Denny. Sarah is dedicating her doctoral research on these issues, while specifically examining the effects hormonal contraception is having on young women's psychology. In this episode, we talk about the advances in women's health sciences regarding fertility care, why hormonal birth control should not be considered a panacea for women's health issues, and the effects it is having on our relationships. I hope this episode encourages women and men to embrace the beauty and struggle of a woman's natural fertility rhythms. At the end of the episode, we give you resources for more information on this important topic. And as always, head over to faithandmarriage.org at the end of the show for more great content on life, relationships, and faith. All right, Sarah Denny. Welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We appreciate your your time. We know you're a busy woman, so we're grateful that you're here with yeah, us this morning. Of course. Thank you. All right. So we're going to talk about your dissertation. Woohoo! How about fun? <laughs> that. Uh, you certainly did not shy away from picking a controversial topic to, yeah, to write about. I tend to gravitate towards those. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell, your, tell the audience a little bit about what you're writing on and, and researching on right now? Yeah. So um, in my experience, so I've currently I'm working as a campus minister in a college campus, specifically at LSU, but I've also worked as a fertility care practitioner with the Crete model system. And so I've had the gift of studying women's cycles for a few years. And, you know, in working with women and having conversations with them about their cycles, it's amazing to me that we live in a first world country. And most women, I would argue, do not actually know how their bodies and specifically how their fertility works. And so as I've gone through, you know, different conversations, different experiences, seeing how our cycles have an effect on our whole lives, if we're being honest, because it affects our emotions and our psyche and things like that. Um, I was really just sort of on this path of, okay, I love John Paul II. Let's talk about the dignity of woman. And, you know, you could write 5 billion pages about that. So this is me and my process trying to focus, focus, focus. Narrow it down. Yeah. So I kept narrowing it down. So then I went to, well, my passion would be in something related to contraception and abortion. And then I was like, okay, I need to narrow it down more. So I was like, okay, related to contraception. There you go. And then I was like, okay, I need to narrow it down even more because I was finding all these articles and I was realizing like, well, there's a population specifically adolescents where, you know, the pill is being offered for many reasons. And in my opinion, it's being given out as one would say, maybe like candy. And so, I mean, even when I was 19, 20 years old and having issues with my cycle, I remember going to the OBGYN and he was like, well, you get on the pill. And I was like, well, I don't want to get on the pill. Is there another option? He's like, well, you can just take Tylenol. And I just remember being like, that's not helpful. <laughs> like, Those are your two that's options. really all you're going to give me as an option. And so, you know, I see that though also as those experiences the Lord allows in our life to sort of awaken our own passions and continue to, you know, invite us to go deeper in our questions. So my research that I'm focusing on right now, the goal for the first chapter is all of the scientific based evidence on the effects of hormonal contraception on adolescent women's bodies. Um, you know, amazing, which is a mouthful, but beyond that, I'm hoping that that's sort of me setting the stage of what the reality is in women's health, that when people read it, you know, I'm not here to just be like, Oh, women's health is it's all bad because it's not. There's a lot in there that's good. And we would only be here if there's people that are working who desire to help women. Of course. It's just the question of like, what does it mean to truly help a woman? And what does it mean? What I'm finding is the question comes to is what does it mean for a woman to be free? And so I think Great question. You know, as I'm developing this, because it has to be 400 pages. So we have space. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You have time. But um, I think my question is going to come down to what is the nature of freedom for a woman like within this sphere of fertility, because empowerment's a buzzword, reproductive rights are a buzzword, but like, what do we mean when we say that, you know? And, and it depends, I feel like on people's sort of background, their culture, their experiences, obviously. And so what I'm hoping is that setting a stage with the scientific base evidence at least helps people to see like, wait a second, you know, there might be 
quote, good reasons why I'm putting, you know, my daughter on birth control or why I myself am on birth control. Mm -hmm. But underneath that, um, is this really the best option? So let, let's pick some of this apart, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first thing you said, which, which was wonderful, was the concept of freedom. And understanding then that knowledge is key to freedom. Mm-hmm. That if freedom is to, the capacity to, to uh, engage our free will and orient our free will towards the good, we need to know what the good is. Not just from an anthropological or theological context, but also from a scientific one as right. well. And it seems that the first chapter that you're focusing in on then is arming women with knowledge and men as well, but, mm-hmm. but looking at the research to say, well, what, what, what are really the effects that this is having on, on women? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes, exactly. So, so basically, you know, the last chapter hopefully is going to be more me proposing that there's a fuller vision for women within healthcare than most people know about. Um, and in my particular experience, what that looks like is teaching women fertility awareness models for the sake of them understanding how their bodies actually work. Amen. Whatever they want to do with that knowledge, again, that is their personal decision. I'm only here, like when I was teaching Creighton, I'm only here to offer the knowledge, mm-hmm. but it's each person, but I can never go against another's freedom. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with the first chapter I'm trying to show is, wait a second, like our woman's body was created in such a way that there's, you know, I think it's pretty and fluid, but it's true. It's like, there's a, there's a symphony sort of, of how these hormone fluctuations happen in the body. We call it a cycle because it's a cyclic change. Every single day, my hormone levels are going to be fluctuating and that's a good thing. Yes, it is. You know, that's how it was intended. Now, even for a woman, most women, I should say that, are going to have experience with their cycle that they're going to have questions about. Some of it will be, oh, that's okay. This is normal. But some of them will be, okay, there's something off in your cycle. Let's figure that out. And so what the current culture is doing, and again, doctors, where they are, what they've been taught in med school, they're giving, quote, I would say the best answer they can give, but it doesn't mean that's the fullness of the vision. So I think the question comes down to a medicine. Are we giving women an option or options um, that truly help them to, in a sense, restore the reproductive integrity of their fertility or not. If there's an integrity that's, you know, the point of why our bodies are created a certain way, then how or what can we do to aid the body in functioning and acting the way it's supposed to? Or are we giving options that sort of shut that down? And so in a simplistic way to explain it, the birth control pill and most hormonal contraception, it's sort of a Band-Aid response to a really bigger problem. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like a lot of women, I'm 29, a lot of women my age, you know, they get on the pill and they're in high school. They might be on it for 10 years. They get married, they get off of it and they just think, oh, well, I can just have a baby whenever I want. And I'm like, well, there are reasons why you got on the pill usually in high school, um, mostly is medicinal reasons. And just because you get off of it doesn't mean they were fixed. And that's sort of the issue is like hormonal contraception um, it's not fixing the underlying issues that women are experiencing within their reproductive systems. And I think I can understand why we did it, but I think especially now in 2018, like women deserve better than that. We have answers now. And it, I think it's a question of are people willing to listen to the other options that are out there? Because it, it is in a sense, sometimes it can also be more difficult because it's a woman taking ownership and paying attention to the signs that her body tells her, like when she goes to the bathroom, looking at the tissue, things like that. Um, so it requires a sort of discipline, right? Um, and which, you know, can be hard. As you're talking, the thing that's coming to my mind is recognizing that people don't necessarily want to listen. There's, there's obviously oh, political yes. kind of forces <laughs> moving towards mm-hmm. just pushing contraception. And, and we understand that there's reasons for that. And, um, but I guess as you're diving into the research, how hard has it been to find biased free articles. Oh my gosh. This is the struggle right now for me. So, okay. So in answering this question, I think why it's also sometimes difficult is, so I, when I'm talking about hormonal contraception, I'm looking at it from two different vantage points. One of them being a prevention of pregnancy when a couple does not want to have a child. But the other flip side of that, which I think is most women, especially adolescents, when they're starting out on the pill, it actually has to do with health issues. It could be acne, it could be migraines, it could be depression, it could be, I just don't feel good. And mom takes me to the doctor and this is what they give me. Um, so what's so difficult is like trying to find 
the place where I'm trying to answer the question. And so I'm sort of going the route because I think for every woman, um, you know, at some point they're going to be able to acknowledge that they're starting to have an awareness of their body and it affects how they feel and they want to understand that. And so they're looking for options and how for me with the research is, so I'm looking at, you know, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC. I'm looking at things related to the FDA. I'm looking at, you know, just websites for, quote, the average woman in the States, because that's my culture. Um, what is the reality of hormonal contraception? And for them, the reason why it's been so hard for me to find, quote, unbiased material <laughs> is because, according to the CDC, pregnancy is a disease. So I, just by nature of being a woman and my age, I am at risk of quote, contracting a very serious disease, which could have very serious complications for me. Does the CDC use that language? Disease? Yes. yes 100%. That's crazy. And in fact, so a lot that's been put out right now is that what they're saying is, you know, quote, we've done a good job so far of pushing contraception and it's had some movements for that we're helping to prevent unintended pregnancies amongst adolescents. But Still, within the states, adolescents and women at large, um, 50% of pregnancies are still unplanned. According to them, that's a failure of what they're trying to offer women um, because women are still getting pregnant. So in their sort of what I would call utopian illusion, it would be that every single woman would basically be able to prevent this disease from occurring, which is pregnancy. Right. Because the sense is that like planned pregnancies are considered better than unplanned pregnancies. And right. I can understand the motivation is to try to help women to be able to plan and men to plan when they're going to have kids. And there's there's certainly a, a truth in that. And even understanding the natural rhythms and the yes. fertility awareness, yes. it's, Which it's all how yeah. how to how that should occur, how, right. how planning of those pregnancies should happen. So, so that's one thing. But then the second thing is also, it's almost there's, when you say disease, it's like this, this sense that somehow unplanned pregnancies are, are the real culprit are the problem in our society. And, and that kind of goes against, as I, as I hear it almost an offense against God as the author of life oh, and definitely. God as the, the one who determines like what is good. And when we start making these distinctions between which life has more value than another life, a planned life versus an unplanned life, mm -hmm. I think we're, we're getting into, into murky waters very, very quickly. Yes. So as you're talking, I'm seeing sort of this like the, the landslide effect of sort of all of these thought processes is this particular understanding of freedom that they have for women in terms of reproductive rights would be that a woman has the right to control her fertility in such a way that she can experience the, the pleasures of sexual intimacy without having to quote worry about the potential of having a child, mm -hmm. um, which being in our culture, it, it's sort of like ingrained in us. I even feel that temptation sometimes where like, cause I'm all about like women empowerment, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. But if woman is paying attention to the nature of her own, like, being as a woman who is uniquely created in the feminine, which is going to be different than the man, I think, and this is what John Paul II would talk about, is that we do not sort of gain more of an equality by masculinizing ourselves. And the, the difference is like for a man and a woman in sexual intimacy, I'm not saying like, you know, that sometimes I don't get frustrated with how this works out. But what I'm saying is I think there's a certain way in which woman holds the line in the culture. And so for what women, what I mean by that is for women to sort of rob fertility of its, one of its ultimate purposes. I think fertility is a part of the connection with sexual intimacy and within marriage. And there's going to be a union of the spouses, but also the potential for new life. When you rob one or both of those, there's going to be a problem. And in this particular way, when you take fertility and you manipulate it, because it really is a manipulation in a sense, um, in such a way that it prevents a pregnancy from happening, then that really takes out responsibility from the entire equation. And so what I've personally seen, which could go in a different direction too, but is that by taking responsibility away from woman, it also takes responsibility away from men. And so we're seeing in our culture, I would say very large scale effects of what that looks like when women aren't taking responsibility when men aren't taking responsibility and our bodies sort of just become this like 
almost like a machine that like the, the ideal goal then would just be for the sake of pleasure without sort of anything deeper underneath it. And so we're just sort of living at this like superficial space and we want happiness. Um, but if we're being honest with ourselves, like if the pill would have been the fix all approach, then things wouldn't be as messed up as they are. Like you can see, I mean, this is one of a billion effects that you can see. Clearly we get why they tried it, but it wasn't the answer because women are still experiencing this division between them and men and experiencing the struggle within their own bodies and trying to understand things. If I'm hearing you right, Sarah, what yeah. you're saying is that as you're reading this, as you're engaging in these conversations, the Band-Aid approach is kind of the word that you're using, which mm -hmm. is a quick fix. Okay, we have this problem, unplanned pregnancies, which we can see as a problem, certainly for some circumstances. Um, but that the solution that tends to be given across the board is, is, is the pill, artificial birth control, to help with medicinal issues, mm -hmm. whether it's acne or, or cramping or headaches, as well as uh, unplanned ability to prevent pregnancy. But rather than empowering the woman to actually understand her cycle and gaining deeper knowledge in terms of what's normal, what's not normal. Mm -hmm. The Band-Aid approach is just to say, let's just take the pill and then we don't have to worry about it. Now you're free from the symptoms, if there's medicinal symptoms, and you're free from uh, the ability to get pregnant. Now the consequences there that you're speaking about is that we're not then teaching responsibility. Yes. Not just sexually, but even personal integrity. Mm -hmm taking responsibility for your emotions when they're up and down. And that's not to say that there's something bad with a woman, but just recognizing that, that those fluctuations yes. are, are part of her cycle because her hormones are going one way or the other. And so learning awareness about how her body and her psychology, how her mind and her body fit together, that that's a much healthier alternative than just saying, take the pill, take an IUD, and don't think about it. Mm -hmm. So actually, St. Edith Stein, she has a lot written about just woman and her awareness of self. And I really respect her writings. And she says that sort of our duty in properly educating women, especially young women, is that we should teach them about the gift of their emotions. In no way does she look at the emotional life as something that's a problem. She sees it as very rich. She sees it as a sensitivity that allows women to encounter the human person. That's why woman has a gift of seeing the person. But she says that we have to educate woman that the gift of her reason is still this sort of like that central place within her that I, even though I study this stuff, even though I teach, you know, fertility awareness models, I experience like emotional fluctuations and I have to remind myself like, oh, I'm not crazy, <laughs> you know? And, but truly like the reality is that there's a part of us that we can just sort of, I can get caught up in the stream of consciousness. And this is a daily struggle. I think sometimes of, oh my gosh, this, 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 and this, and I can just get swept away in my emotions. And if I do not ground myself in reason and reality and the person or the opportunity that's right in front of me, then I'm not even, I feel like living out of the freedom that I am created for because I'm sort of just riding the emotion train. Does that make sense? Of course. Um, and so, and so it, the, the duty for educators and for parents is to help women harness that. Like there's, yes. there's nothing that's wrong a, with and that's that. It. I love that you said harness because like, it's one of our strengths. Yes, of course. Of like course. And honoring the difference. About so honoring things. the difference between yes. men and women and how men and women experience the world and those fluctuations in hormones, because men pretty much are the same. The testosterone yes. levels are pretty much the same. They hit a peak and then they slowly decrease uh, for, for the rest of their life. But there isn't this up and down every day, every week. Yeah. And, and that's not in any way to, to discredit experience it's rather to say they both have their own unique experiences of life mm -hmm. and how do we honor that how I do we harness them that complimentary absolutely truly. this is always hope with dr mario a production of willwood's faith and marriage i'm having a great conversation with sarah denny and if you have enjoyed the show please hit subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes So let me ask you another question here, shifting mm -hmm. gears. This might sound kind of uh, elementary, I guess, or, or naive <laughs> from, from, from me, but I just want to be sure that everybody, we're on the no, same please, page and sort of the audience I'm here. Sometimes I'm just talking about it and I think about it all the time, but you don't have the, the language. Artificial contraception. Yes. Birth control pill. What exactly does it do in the body? Great question. Okay. How does so, it actually work to prevent pregnancy? How does it actually work 
to help with acne or headaches? Why is it the Band-Aid? Like what, it, what, like what does it really do on the body? Okay. So basically hormonal contraception is, they call it exogenous or external hormone. So it's in some way, shape or form, whether that's the pill, whether that's the patch, they have, you know, a product called the NuvaRing. They have in smaller doses, the IUD would have some sort of hormone, but that more so works on placement of the body. Um, they have little rods that they might put into your arm. There's so many options for hormonal contraception and they've gone through stages based upon the effects that different hormone levels have had on women. So they are working, what pharmaceutical companies are usually doing is they're working to adjust how much of the hormone they're putting in because of the effects that it's having. So they're trying to, to monitor the hormone levels that they're administering to a woman's body so that it still has quote, the efficacy they're going for, but at the same time, minimizing the negative side effects, which with any medication you would hope they would do. But this one is just interesting because of what it entails. Um, so basically with the hormones that are put into the woman's body, it shuts down the woman's reproductive system, meaning the oh, hormone levels are not fluctuating. Okay. So, um, they can't see this. I wish they could. But if you were to look at the cool little graph, I can show Mario, which maybe he could post it or something. But like they just go sort of straight line because these hormones are administered every single day. I'm going to take a pill or whatever's in my body that the hormone level is going to stay a constant. Now, are we talking specifically about progesterone and estrogen? Yeah. And so they're going to call it progestin, estrogen, like because it's they're not even identical and in terms of a biomolecular like level, if you were to look at it. Um, but every single day, if it's a, the pill, for instance, then you're getting the same amount every single day. So rather than having the normal cycles of the ups and downs, so which are all, all connected changes. to fertility. Yes. So everything is flatlining is what it's you're saying. Flatlining. So instead of a cycle where, you know, for a typical woman cycle, day one would be the day she starts her menstrual period. Her estrogen is going to start rising it's going to peak right before ovulation or when the egg is released from the ovary. So then estrogen starts decreasing. And then it's again, progesterone is the next one. It comes up, does a sort of like double peak and then it goes down. So a woman, when she's experiencing PMS, so premenstrual syndrome. So before her next menstruation, she's going to experience certain side effects just because her body is reacting. Like, so shouldn't we call it side effects? She's going to experience certain things that are natural to her body. Um, such as migraines, cravings, she might be exhausted and yet have an inability to sleep. Um, she might feel depressed. So this is natural for every single woman to experience something like this for two to three days before her cycle in sort of an average way, meaning like she can still get up, go to work, go to school, go about her day. And she's, she's affected because she's a person, but she's not stopped from doing what she needs to do An abnormal experience of premenstrual syndrome would be a woman who experiences either those amount of days, but the experience of it is a lot more intense. Or if she experiences it for longer than three days, like some women get it for two weeks leading up to their cycle. That's not normal. Again, not saying there's something wrong with her as a person, but there means that on a medicinal level, every other way we'd look at it, we would say, Hey, I think potentially it could be that something is going wrong with your hormone levels. Like let's Let's look at that. So for the birth control pill, the, we, the reason why people will experience alleviation of their struggles is because it puts a certain level of hormones in your body um, that are going to kind of have your body ride at this flat line level. Um, but if, if you affect the endocrine system, you affect everything, the pituitary gland, the thyroid, the, the brain, the uterus, I mean, everything is going to be affected the because of the levels, the hormones, the reproductive system, all of that's connected. It's like all of these organs and woman's body were made to be connected within the endocrine system. Um, and the interesting thing is even estrogen sort of serves as a primer to prepare for what progesterone later in the cycle is going to do. So think of it. I mean, the simplest way is that birth control, it sort of shuts everything down, like it quiets all the noise. And a woman who is in pain, we can understand why she wants to quiet the noise. And I totally get that. My argument with this is that now that we know there are other options, um, instead of quieting all the noise, because it doesn't fix the underlying problem, we should look into that and see what the underlying problem is and then help her. So for instance, a woman could be having these horrible experience with PMS because maybe she has 
polycystic ovarian disease. Maybe her body has a certain amount of estrogen it's producing, but there's a struggle and the, even the egg coming out. And so she's in a lot of pain at certain times. And this is very, very real. Like I want people to understand what I have seen is that there is a problem and we should be talking about it. I just don't think we're responding to it in the appropriate way. And I think, I mean, if you did studies, there's a billion studies I wish one could do, but if you did studies on the average high school girl and why she's missing school, like I looked at the attendance rate and I'm like, we're totally all missing the mark. Like a lot of girls are missing school at certain times of the month because they're in serious pain. They can't get out of bed and they're sick, physically sick because of their cycles. And they don't know that there's another option for them. So, you know, so then when we offer the, the band-aid approach here mm-hmm. as a one size fits all, let's just shut it down again. We understand the intention behind that is because there's pain and we want yes. to be able to alleviate that. But you said it doesn't solve the underlying problem, one, mm-hmm. but then two, it has the potential of opening up other issues as yes. well. And so focusing particularly on the, some maybe psychological, emotional issues that you're seeing I guess, well, what are you seeing? Well, let me just ask it this way. Like if, if the woman is supposed to be a, a cycle and that there's this harmony of her hormones kind of working in balance with the fullness of her body, when we disrupt that or interrupt that in some way, whether it's flatlining it or doing something to, to silence it or whatever it is that those medicines do, I mean, I guess, why wouldn't we expect to see effects on her mm-hmm. emotional life? Why? Why wouldn't we expect to see effects on her psychology or the way that she experiences the world when she then is taking these medicines to, to flatline her, her system? Right. So what are you seeing? So a lot of the research that I'm doing right now is showing, especially for adolescents, they used to think that there was sort of this, the organizational window, the, the way that the brain was being structured, the experience in the central nervous system, all of this stuff that's connected they thought that in utero, then that's when, you know, a baby is very sensitive um, and that's when all these changes are happening. Now they're finding based on the research that adolescence, as soon as puberty starts, there's also a very important window that we're looking at because the body is still growing and developing. And so, you know, they call it neuroplasticity. And I that word kind of helps me because I think of it as it's all sort of malleable at this point And like, what do we want it to look like? What is it supposed to look like? And so the natural progression and fluctuation and beginning of these hormones is it's literally, this is how the synapses and the myelin that goes around, you know, like all these things in the brain, it's how it's being built. So we're talking structure is being affected and how the brain that a woman will have for the rest of her life. Let me just interrupt you there. Yeah. Cause I know this is also for adolescents across the board for men and women. Yes. And in this, this concept of neuroplasticity, we can dedicate a whole nother podcast to, yes. but just sufficient yes. for listeners to understand what we mean is that the, the, the brain has this natural cycle of firing neurons and neurons dying. And so there's always this kind of recycling of new neurons coming and old neurons going. And when you're an adult, typically that pattern is about the same. Mm -hmm. That new ones are coming and old ones are going at the same time. There are two key moments in life, toddlers and particularly adolescents, when the rate of new neurons firing is a lot higher than the rate of which old ones are, are passing away. So there's this explosion of neurological connections that are happening inside the adolescent mind, mm-hmm. which is preparing them for adulthood. So what effects then are this hormonal um, medicines having on adolescent women during this, during this process of neurological growth in the brain? So I would say the two, at least most intriguing things for me is that number one, the structure we talked about is even certain parts of the brain and their size are literally being affected. And once it's shifted. Like once she's out of adolescence, she's out of it. It's going to stay like that for the rest of her life. But the issue with that too, then is also this sort of, um, there's like the experience of the hormone levels within adolescence is going to affect also behavior. Well, a woman who is experiencing a certain level of hormones, she's going to then exhibit certain behaviors because it's all interconnected in adulthood. When they then have those same level of hormones, they're going to exhibit the same kind of behavior. So what they're seeing and just sort of an at large thing. So this relates, I guess, to the men and to the women would then be like, if you never allow them to experience sort of the natural fluctuation of these chemicals and it's sort of almost can stunt them in the sense of like, like, so I think this, I know it's not gonna be the same thing, but I was, as I was reading, I was thinking of addictions. Like it sort of does that same thing where sort of the, I need to do everything right now, this sort of impulsive behavior. Like I'm not going to be ordered in my thinking about this. Like that can also be perpetuated 
because of the effect of these exogenous hormones on a woman's body, because it's affecting not just her endocrine system, it's going to the central nervous system, it's affecting the structure of the brain, and it's affecting the communication between the brain and the rest of the body. And like you just said, that sort of, I think they call it synaptic pruning maybe, but all of these things that they're trying, the body should naturally be doing, there are certain spaces that are almost being gotten rid of, like and neurotransmitters and things that you want to be active that aren't being active because the body has been almost shut down from within itself. Because so how of is fertility. that manifesting outwardly? So manifesting outwardly, um, man, this is why they're saying that in these articles, they're saying that you should advise like psychiatrists, for instance, like when a woman's coming to you with severe depression, you should probably look at her ovarian activity, which is something that I do not think is done enough. Instead, where they're just sort of multiplying her medication. So it's like, okay, great. Well, you're on hormonal contraception. I'm going to add to that antidepressant. Instead of looking at the fact that she's not getting like the dopamine, serotonin, all of those levels are being affected because they're all communicating with the hormone and the estrogen in her body. So if I'm affecting her levels of hormone and estrogen, I am affecting her levels of dopamine and serotonin and everything that's trying to help her to reach this sort of like homeostasis that's like a thriving sort of living on a biological level. Does that wow. make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. So checking her mood and that's one place that, that this could be affecting. And, and also her memory, actually, they're finding more studies related to that. And tell me more about that. So, and, and this for me is why I'm like, this is women's health is it's, it's not just even the adolescent window. It goes in further, but they're looking at, you know, women who are approaching menopause, hormone therapy, they're finding that there's a certain window where administering these exogenous hormones could be healthy um, for her, but then outside of that window beyond it, it could be unhealthy. But the reason why you want to administer them is because the estrogen levels, not as mood only affected, it's also memory. And so- In what way? In, in terms of like Alzheimer's being developed, just a degenerative process uh, within the brain. So now we're beyond adolescence, but you're talking about that window yes. for, for women later in life in terms of menopause. Yes. And so that's why I'm sort of arguing this sort of like, you know, if you educate a woman on how her body works in adolescence, that's not going to just disappear. Like that's why I think that's most the most empowering option that we have for women is to educate them on how their body works because she's still a woman for the rest of her life. That's right. And like it teaches her, you don't have to be afraid of what's happening in your body that you can understand it. And if there is an issue that we can help it, but we want to help it in a way that's natural to your body. Wow. So some of the stuff that you're reading right now, you're saying, no, it's it's heavy, it's heavy, but it's important because as you've said all the way through, knowledge is power. And the best thing we can do to help women make good decisions with their body, if we really want to support women's health, is to feed them the knowledge that they need and understanding the intricate, for lack of a better word, machinery, right? That is the Mm -hmm. woman's body. We're seeing that all these things are natural and they're part of, there's part of your, your system and that your body needs to do this because it's working within its, its ordering. It's where it's working. It's better to work within the, the design of your body rather than work against it. Yes. And there's women, I mean, like I went to go get coffee the other day and the girl, the barista asked me some question. I was like, I'm working on my dissertation. And they're like, oh, what are you working on? I'm like, this is always interesting when I have to answer this. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, actually I'm doing research and the you know effects of contraception on women's bodies. She's like, oh yeah, that's why I got off the pill. She's like, I hated what I experienced in the mood swings. Like I just felt like something was off. Some of them, I had another client who's a friend who got off of it because she felt like she wasn't having any normal mood swings at all. Like she liked it in the sense that she didn't have the lows, but she was like, I'm not experiencing the highs. Mm -hmm. Like, what is that? Is that okay? And I'm like, no, (laughs) it's not. And again, like what I want people to hear in this interview is I wrote a blog post recently um, on this exact topic and it was simple, but it's, so my blog is whatwomenare.com. I mean, I hardly, I post here and there, whatever, who knows, so plug it. Time. but it, it, the title of the post was no, you're not crazy. Like, because that was the most common phrase I was saying to women, I would look at them and if they were engaged or married, I'd look at the husband too. And I'd be like, she's not crazy. And for them to be able to see like, okay, let me help you monitor. There's, it's free. I put it on there. It's a PMS symptom chart. It helps you to monitor throughout your cycle to give a woman But I I just think like, why don't we give them the resources to understand? So to give a woman this sort of like knowledge is important, but then to give her the resources to be able to take the knowledge and put it into practice is the next step. Um, And so if you're listening to this and you're like, how the heck do I do this? I just want to encourage you that there are good resources, but it is important to understand first why if you are on the pill and you're like, okay, 
But do you understand that I was on the floor for like three to five days out of the month? And I would tell you, that's not a good way of living. And I'm really sorry. And you should not have to do that. But that's shutting down your system. Like you deserve better than to shut down your system because it's not you living fully as you should be able to live, I think. As you're talking, the thing that keeps coming back to my mind is it it almost seems like rather than honoring the cycle of women and the ups and the downs and all the things you spoke about between the, the health of her emotions, the health of her understanding and seeing of the world and all of the, the dips and highs that goes along with that cycle, rather than honoring it, we flatline it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, it just, it just seems so pejorative. It's almost like, well, let's just, it's just easier if we can make women to be like a man. If we yes. can just make women be simple, like men are simple, if we can flatline the hormones just like we do with, just like men are, it would just be easier to deal with at a sociological level. I, am I, I wrong to think that? No, I just want to put out the man said it. I mean, I agree with you like completely like, and, th- and interesting enough though, when they're doing these studies, which I'm sorry, I just, it makes me, it confuses me because if the intention in all of this is supposed to be women's liberation, if the intention is to be, yes. let's love women the way that they are, then let's love women the way that they are. So that's the thing is like on all of these levels, the question is, am I, Am I trying to live out my womanhood and my femininity in such a way that I'm doing it based on what it means to be a woman? Or am I doing it based on, I'm trying to fit the box in the rat race with men and what they're doing, which is again, how all of this came to be. But still, if I'm going to, this relates to every other part of life. If I'm going to go into the office, I'm going to go to the office, and I'm going to live as a woman, or I'm going to try and, you know, beat all the boys at what they're doing. And I'm going to try and fit into their mold. And I can do that and mold into that, or I can do it as a woman would do it, which means that I can do it with just as many smarts involved, but I'm going to do it in a way that's uniquely feminine. And again, I don't mean that there's like this book you need to read. Like, what does that mean? I mean, remaining who you are and not having to change to fit, to somehow win this race with men, because I'm my battle. It shouldn't be that I'm trying to fit into what a man is because I'm not. I'm taking another quick break from my conversation on women's health with Sarah Denny to remind you that you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Mario Sacasa. I look forward to hearing from you on those platforms and let's get back to the show. So what are we seeing sociologically? What do, you, what do you think society's feeling? I know that your research has focused particularly on, on the individual level, but just going to the sociological cultural space, I mean, what I can talk see? about this for hours too, but well, you, we got a personal few more minutes. experience would be, so I teach at a college level in terms of I teach like campus ministry. I, I, I do different courses for them on the vocation of women. I do things on women's health. Um, and I have, you know, the natural question that these young women and men are asking, like, what is the plan for my life? Am I going to get married? If I'm called to marriage, who am I going to marry? Like, but I'm going to tell you, I, honestly, and this is then on a personal level as a 29 year old, I'm looking out at all the men and I'm like, you have a lot of really good options. Like these women are really seeking to be good women and they're seeking to be faithful to who they feel like they're called to be. And they're fighting hard battles. And the men are also fighting hard battles, obviously, in a way that they are called that's different than us and yet still similar in its own way. Um, But for me as a 29 year old, then I'm looking out and I'm like, um, where are all the men? It doesn't mean that I don't know good men. I do know good men, but the number of women that I see that come to me regularly, I mean, I have talked to so many women over the last 10 years who all have the same question. Like, is this worth it? This battle that I'm fighting that I really want to, to save myself for marriage. I want to, to live out in a way that's holistic. And, you know, I want to be mature. I want to be responsible. And by woman in a large scale, sociologically, again, from the beginning of our conversation, taking out the responsibility of men, I think any good man, what he really wants, as much as it might get under his skin, he wants to be challenged. Not that he wants to be put down. He doesn't want to be like constantly berated. I don't mean that. But I mean that he wants to be challenged. And 
if we are saying like, no, you can just do whatever you want, because even in my body, I'm going to take something that rids you of responsibility, then like, I'm not loving myself, but I'm also not loving him because I'm not calling out of him. I can't teach any man to be a man. Don't get me wrong. But my way of being a woman and authenticity, we men and women call each other out by being who we are to be the fullest version of ourselves. But right now with the reality of contraception and I would also argue abortion and pornography, um, there's a, there's a crisis. I think there's a legitimate crisis amongst my generation and in people even finding compatibility with other like men with women, women with men of people that they want to spend the rest of their lives with that are sort of on the same page with them of like what holistic and fullness of life could be looking like. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause what you're saying is then when we give the band aid, we we take responsibility off the table in mm-hmm. terms of really understanding the, the real nitty gritty of, of your emotional life and, and of your, your sexual urges and not having to really engage with that at any point, you just flatline maturity as well. And that goes for then women, but then also for men, also for men. that don't have to then take responsibility for, for their actions. Yes. And I think this is what Pope Paul the sixth was speaking about a humanity. Oh my gosh, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Right? And he, I don't, people are like, oh, he's being prophetic. I'm not sure if he's being prophetic as much as being logical. <laughs> yeah. Which is just that if we do this and this becomes widespread contraception use and we, we, why as a culture, we, we accept that fertility is off the table. Responsibility of life is off the table. Responsibility of understanding the body as it's designed is off the table. This is what we're going to see. We're going to see rises in, in infidelity, mm-hmm. the general lowering of moral standards, mm-hmm. and and really um, just not. Man not, will view woman more in an objective sense, like as an object instead of as a gift. And the fourth thing he said that people I feel like don't always look at all the time is that governments will start taking coercive responsibility in terms of people's fertility. And I, as a person who's studying bioethics and like everyone wake up, that is what we are talking about. Like, there's no way I am not a conspiracist theorist by any means, but I'm like, there's no way that pharmaceutical companies would have this much power in terms of the intimacy of people's lives, unless there's a lot of money. Um, and something else that you were talking about that I want to bring up sort of just made me think of this is I think the key to all of this, like if you look at my generation right now, oh my gosh, it's infuriating, but like no one knows how to talk to each other. That whole, like the crisis, I mean, the crisis goes to the foundation levels of even like dating, like, oh my gosh, can you look at me in the eyes? Can you just put the phone down for a second? Like, I would like to get to know you. I think you want to get to know me. Like, let's have a real conversation. Everyone's terrified of that. And here's the reality without the pill, a couple has to have a conversation. They have to communicate in some way, shape or form about what are their intentions in this? Because there is a natural effect. If they both take responsibility for it. They absolutely have to have that conversation. Without that, when you somehow use any form of contraception, what's happening is that you don't have to have that conversation. At least you think you don't. But again, the efficacy and how often you take it and blah, blah, blah. When you take away that conversation, that's where I think it's literally on a, a biochemical level, but a psychological level and a sociological level, we are stunting the growth. There is a video I highly recommend. Um, it's called The Economics of Sex. It's a 10 minute video. You find this on, it on YouTube? YouTube. Easy to find. A little depressing from my feminine perspective, but it illustrates what I just told you that I'm not making it up, that there's sort of this concept of even an economic understanding of the supply and demand of the availability of sex. And if you put the bar really low and a man can have that option whenever he wants without responsibility, well, hello, like why not? And as women at large have decided that, okay, well then I can just give this away because there's no demands on you after or demands on me after per se, then like, I'm going to do that. But the reality is that it's having this large scale effect that we keep coming back to of on a sociological level. Like where are all the men? Where are the women? Where are people who would be living this out in some way, shape or form that could be similar to my own? Well, how are um, you're on a college campus? So how are men responding to this message? Um, you know, I think it's sort of as to be expected. Some men are going to look at me and be like, Oh man, like, well, that's hard. But to be truthful, at least the ones that I'm encountering, and granted, I'm working at a Catholic center, so a lot of them are coming in a little bit more open than maybe the norm, but it doesn't mean that they all are. 
I will say that there's something speaking as a woman to a man and me saying like, hey, this is how a woman's body actually works. If you want to get married, or even if you don't, but you should know that. Um, and this is what might be required of you one day. Like, do you think you have the capacity? And I look at them and I'm very clear with them because I just think it's time that someone is. And I'm like, hey, like, do you think that you have the capacity to say no to something that's really good in front of you in that moment because you know that it's not what's best for the long term? And even if they tell me, no, I look at them and I'm like, you were created with that capacity. I know you have it. As a young man, how are you preparing yourself for your future in your job and potentially in your marriage? Are you cultivating in your sense a certain temperance in your decision making and how often you let yourself experience? I mean, pleasures all over it, whatever that can mean for them. But do you know how to say no to what's good so that you can save your yes for what's best? And when I tell them about the working of a woman's body, I mean, they, <laughs> it's mind blowing. I can't so, imagine. I remember so endearing because they, their eyes get really big. And I mean, this well, so with yeah. love. I don't mean this in any way. No, that's of like course. I remember when Kristen and I, when we did our natural family planning course before we got married, I was 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I like looked at her and I was like, your body does what every I mean, month? I, I was like, I cannot believe it. It's funny, but I'm always like, no, John Mayer song, your body is a wonderland. I'm yes. like, no, that's true. <laughs> Like in the sense of like that God made woman's body to have this really beautiful symphony that in a way is mysterious, but in another way, it's not. And men have an invitation to learn how that works. And of course, in a proper way, proper time. And when you get married and when you're engaged, I think that's the best time for men and women to start having these conversations. Um, But that's the invitation. And, And I see these men as they want to know. And what can I do? And for women, that's really what it all comes down to with this women's health stuff for me is I feel very called and impassioned about sharing with women and with men, the gifts and the beauty of a woman's body and how it was created is very good. And if we can go back to learning about that, then what it's naturally going to instill in us is a discipline that I think is important and healthy and helpful for us to live out in a way that we're actually free to be the men and women of virtue and goodness and integrity that we desire to be because it's instilled mm. in what's required of us in learning. It's good. It. Get me pumped up. That's great. So, so we'll end with one final question. Yeah. Just going off what you just said, recognizing that this message that we just talked about runs yeah. countercultural. It does. And, and it's almost counterintuitive at this point because the message has become so ubiquitous. Yes. That the pill is the right answer. Just give the band aid. All of that has become so pervasive in our culture that somebody listening to this might not even think that this is right. What resources can we put people to, point people to? Uh, what, what, do we, what do we do with this information now that we know that it's there? Great. Okay. So again, that video on YouTube, Economics of Sex, that will kind of play out for you. If you don't believe me, <laughs> go watch the video. It's very well done. If you want more information related to learning about the reality of the pill, hormonal contraception of various degrees, go to the highest recommendation from me would be naturalwomanhood.org. They are not an educational resource. They are sort of like in my description, a think tank of all of the resources related to different effects that different options for hormonal contraception have on women's bodies, have on men's bodies, have on marriages. They have a short um, documentary called Natural Love Stories. So they are encouraging people to learn natural forms of monitoring fertility awareness within a marriage and in planning a family for whatever reasons they want to do that because they believe that it's the healthiest option for women. But they're backing it up with all of these articles I can explain to you in different ways things that I just talked about. I'll go to their articles to find their footnotes, to try and find the research. Like that's the process I'm in, but I highly recommend them. If you were interested in learning more about how to actually chart as a woman, number one, I'm going to just do real talk for a second. I'm like, just get an app that's free. I want you to just start paying attention. That's my first thing. I'm not saying you have to go conquer the world today, but just start paying attention. Number two, if you want to take a next step and be more serious about it, go to fertilitycare.org. You can read about the particular method that I've taught, which is create and model. And if that's not the best method for you, there's a bunch of other fertility awareness methods, but that's the one I really like because it has the scientific underpinnings of it, that if a woman has issues with her cycle, I work with a doctor as a practitioner and I point them to the doctor. And just so that you know, there's this other component, they call it NAPRO technology, that helps to alleviate these issues that are happening because it will use bioidentical hormones 
to affect your hormone levels. Or there's any number of other things that a woman could be put on that can help to normalize her cycle to be in line with the way it should be working. And long-term, the options are, it could be if a woman has endometriosis or something more serious, surgery could be part of it. But all of this is working with an understanding of her cycle. We call it charting. Um, That's so important. So that's why I recommend creating more than anything, but any option works. I just want you to start paying attention. That's like my thing. So fertilitycare.org. You can find information about these systems. You can find a practitioner near you. I personally want to tell you to go check out Woman's New Life Center or Hope Woman's Clinic. If you want to see kind of how it's done, those are the doctors that I've worked with and they've worked with clients. And I know so many women. And that's here in New Orleans and in Baton Rouge. We have a doctor in New Orleans. We have a doctor in Baton Rouge. Those websites are there even for people who are outside of uh, those, those areas. If you just want to look to see kind of what it looks like in terms of a health clinic. If you're a medical professional, what does it look like? Please look it up. And then if you're someone who you're in a different state, you're outside of New Orleans or Baton Rouge, go to fertilitycare.org. You can put in your zip code and it will tell you the nearest practitioner to you. And this is something that can be done long distance. I have clients in other states and I call them, they send me a picture of their chart. We go through what they're seeing, we discuss it, and then we can refer them to the doctor nearest them. So how do people contact you directly if they have any questions or what, do you oh, get? what else you got to plug? Question. Um, you know, easiest thing right now, I say check out the blog, whatwomenare.com. Um, and then if you want to email me, I created this one time. It's blessingsandbeauty33 at gmail.com. Blessingsandbeauty33 at gmail.com. Awesome. And if we have any single male listeners, how do they contact you? <laughs> Find me in those mysterious options. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Sarah Denny, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Mario, thank you so much for this having me. This was great. Me. You come and back some other time? I would love to come back. And all of you ladies out there, I just want to say there's hope. Don't let it go. Amen. It's real. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the show. This really is an important topic that needs more attention in conversation. Again, thanks for allowing us to be part of your day. And please don't forget to visit faithinmarriage.org. Be good and God bless.